I'm very sure you have an important life, but whatever you are doing, stop and pay attention. It's the afternoon, a podcast with Brent and Robbie. Glad you're back, Sunday School Billy, to tell <laughs> me I'm wrong. I did also read that, uh, and this can be the last thing we talk about on this because you guys went for a long time talking about sports media on a sports podcast. But out of line, uh, out of line. Oh, I, I apologize. <laughs> no, no, we were out of line. Yes, we were out of Thank line. Thank you. I zoned out during this entire part of the podcast because I I just stared at the floor. Welcome to the Afternooner Sports Podcast. I'm Robbie. With me, as always, is Brent. Brent, good to be here with you. It's good to be here with you. I'm excited. I'm excited, too. This is a very atypical time. We're recording the Afternooner, maybe the earliest in the day that we've ever done a recording of the Afternooner Sports Podcast. And we're doing that because we have a really special guest. We're, we're, we're excited that this person's on. We've been wanting to have them on, and you know, life and scheduling has stopped that from happening. But yeah, this is going to happen. Yeah, we have lead writer, Golden State Warriors writer, Aaron, Eric Malinowski from Bleacher Report is going to join us to talk about Steve Kerr and the Golden State Warriors and a little NBA basketball, stuff we talked about last week. And, uh, and Sunday School Billy's here too. I'm the one you guys were really excited about, right? Well, we can be excited about two things. Yeah, that's fair. Welcome, uh, welcome back, Billy. Man, hi, After Gooners, and hi, Brent. Hi, Robbie. It's really great to be back here in the studio, especially this early in the morning. Though, Robbie, I do think we've recorded a couple of afternooners at like 1 a.m. or 2 a.m., so I don't know that technically this is the earliest recording we've had. Billy, that's still nighttime. I still consider that night. And I understand what you're saying, but you know, if we were to get a very legalistic, technical after-gooner on the podcast, I don't know who that is. Well, hey, Robbie, do you kind of long for the days when it was just a a two-man show? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Billy, uh, is it good to be back away from a suffocating wife and child? That's a loaded question, Brent, (laughs) and I don't quite know how to answer that. But it's very good to be back here in the studio recording with you all. Tell us about life with uh, five-week baby Flora. Flora's healthy, doing great. She's Flourishing? Yes, Brent. She is flourishing. Wait, that is the first time. Wait, 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 wait. Who are we talking about? Are we talking about Cookie Rojas Stone? (laughs) We are talking about Cookie Rojas Stone. Okay, okay, thanks. Flora Cookie Rojas Marie Stone is her full legal name. Social Security is 517-798-6187. Oh! I think. That's the same numbers as the podcast. Phone number. Oh my goodness! You're wow, that what are the chances? Plus, they put an extra number What's, in the because there's so many people now. <laughs> they had to add another number because there's so many people. So yeah, if you want to know Billy's daughter's social security number, yeah, or call us on the show and leave a voicemail five one seven seven nine eight six one eight seven. That well, extra that, little bit was for you, Billy. Welcome back. Uh, thanks, Robbie. So she is doing really well. Uh, she's healthy. I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would celebrate three or four consecutive hours of sleep, uh, but that's that's the reality now. More so for my lovely wife Annie than me. Yeah, it's parenthood's great. It's, did, it's great. Do you you know right? You know that every parent 
that you're coming across yeah. that sees you holding a five-week baby, either externally or internally, is grinning at you, yeah. saying, sucker. <laughs> Everyone. Every, even, like, we, we sure. hurt for you. On some we level. We feel for you, yes. but on some level, we're just, because it's like going through grad school and having to jump over bureaucratic hoops, and then the next generation comes in, you're like, yep, yeah, yeah. That no, we don't want to amend it. We don't want to reform it. We just want to grin at you as you have to bear it. Yeah, it it's bizarre loving something so much, someone or something. Like that, the podcast. We're talking about the podcast. Yeah, I'm though. talking about the Yeah. But imagine for a second that that love can exist for a person. That, that much <laughs> love can exist for a person. Uh because usually that kind of love only exists for a corporation or an LLC exactly. like the Afternoon <laughs> Sports podcast, which as a side note I was surprised at how much my love grew when we became an LLC, that well, that was exponential. It's like getting married. You're like, oh, let's just live together or something yeah. like that. And you're like, no, you, you need to get married. And they get married like, oh, man, I, the, the, the sacredness of it really does. And it's the sacredness of becoming an LLC. registered by the United States Government Internal Revenue Service. Yeah. But in terms of a person, loving them so much, even though the only thing she does is, is cause me grief and take away sleep and other resources <laughs> of my life. That's that's nature kicking in, right? Yeah. That's nature. Mm-hmm. Billy, how much how much sleep are you going on right now? It truly is harder on my wife. I'm limited in what I can do, so I usually take the first shift and I'm up to like 12:30 or 1 to make sure that Annie's getting that chunk of sleep, and then I'll usually do a morning shift as well. Wait, we're up at 12:30 or 1 no matter what. Yeah, that's like normal. Yeah, and I'm usually up that late too, but taking care of a baby makes it a little bit worse. And there are nights where I'm certainly up later or where I'm taking a different shift for Annie. But like I said, and Annie, I am I'm being as honest here as I can. It is infinitely harder on her than it is on me, and she is certainly on her way. Message received, Billy. Yeah, you're suffering. No one knows you're suffering. (laughs) Help! 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 Help. Hey, Billy. While you were gone last week on the show, we we actually took some steps towards making our rendition of the national anthem that we performed with you before you went on maternity leave from the Afternoon or Sports podcast. We tried to make that recording of us singing the, the national anthem on the show, we tried to make that a reality to perform at a live baseball game. Now, we were going to do that with official anthemist Josh Cook, who has a wonderful voice, is a Army veteran, but also Josh Cook has actually played the anthem at an event before. Now he did it on the he did it on the violin. Oh, okay. I think we could just have him play the violin and sing at the same time. So one one would say that he's a double veteran. Yes, I think that's how it worked. I'm pretty sure. I don't. I'm pretty sure that's what a Purple Heart is. Yeah, is someone who can who was in the military that also has performed at a national sporting event. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That's what a Purple Heart is. However, we have an update. Yeah, we have an update. So I contacted Michaela at the Lancy Lugnuts office. And unfortunately, I got an email back from Michaela that they have filled their entire schedule for the season with all their anthemists for the year. That's shocking to me. The season's already underway. I'd like to think that, I mean, this is your full-time job to schedule anthem. That's not her full-time job. I was going to say, is that her full-time? What's her title? That's what it says. It says anthem scheduler. That's all it says on the website. Yeah, but I'm- Okay, I made that up. That's not true. Anthem scheduler. That's something I want to put on a business card. (laughs) Actually, could you, if you ever get around to putting my name on the LLC, could that be my- Title? Yes, yes, that will be your title. Okay. Now, now uh, I want to say Billy Stone bought me a hat a couple years ago, which is a which is a gamble because hats for me are very important. I don't have any hair on my head; they uh, they need to fit right. And he and it worked, and it's now become my like primary hat. 
he got me a hat of the Midland Loons, which is of a loon, which is sort of a duck-like creature, um, swinging a bat. And Midland is about two hours from here. Are we? I mean, I have a hat. Can we tell the Midland Loons we have a hat? We should be able to do the anthem. You know, uh, what would really help that process is if after Gooner, Matt Jin would email us how to contact them. Because that's how I got the information for the Lanseed Lugnuts. He sent us a very long email and obviously put a lot of time and effort into tracking down how to audition to sing the anthem for the Lanseed Lugnuts game. So after Gooner, Matt Jin, or any motivated after Gooner, if you're a self-starter, send us the contact info. Tell us what we need to do to get in front of the Midland Loons, you said Midland? Midland Loons. The Midland Loons uh, PR office, and we will happily contact them. I did email Michaela back from the Lansing Lugnuts and said, hey, Michaela, so is it too early for you, you to put us on the 2018 schedule? Uh, to which she hasn't responded yet. I also asked her to tell, hey, or tell me the date of when to pester you again um, to get us on that 2018 schedule. But I had this other idea, and I want to run it by you guys. What if we just ask Michaela to come on the podcast? Yes. Be- <laughs> yes. Because this is her job, to listen to people like us send in audition tapes of them singing the national anthem. Don't you think she probably has a wellhouse of stories of the type of requests she's received or the lame reasons people think why they should be permitted to sing a national anthem at a lug nuts game. Yeah, maybe she could send us some demo tapes. <laughs> I hope she has a hall of fame of the worst demo tapes. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if that was my job, that's what I'm doing on Friday nights with my friends. Hey, listen to these demo, demo tapes we got this week. Okay. Hey, it sounds like it's connected to a great podcast. Let's just listen to the whole podcast. <laughs> I know you said we need to go out to you after Gooner Matt Jin, but Robbie, I'm back. I'm what, here You've now. already done it? I have found the contact for the Midland Loons. It looks like, though, we have a greater calling as the after afternooner sports podcast. You know, with these minor league baseball teams, the team's resources aren't they aren't infinite. You know, like perhaps the Yankees or one of these other bigger bigger sports teams. So, never heard of them. Is this baseball? Major leagues, yeah. We're talking about the Battle Creek Yankees, right? Yes, the minor league team the, with. Who is well known for their infinite resources? <laughs> That's um, Kellogg's money. That's there's just Kellogg's money going right through the Battle Creek Yankees. Great listen, point, Sunday School Billy. There is a tab. I was looking for the tab of you know apply to be a national anthem singer. <laughs> they, that tab's not there. There is a tab under the about us labeled host families because these players are coming from who knows where. You know they don't they don't have a ton of money. And it's pretty, it's a pretty great opportunity, I think, for the Afternoon Sports Podcast to show goodwill towards the the Midland Loons. So, are you suggesting that we set up a cot right here in the Dwayne Ski Memorial <laughs> Studio for one of the Midland Loons players to live in and commute two hours each way <laughs> that, to their games? That, or we figure out which you know after nooner here has the most floor space, and uh, that's the person who hosts. Or maybe we're just maybe we are just facilitators to connect an after gooner like a personal ad on craigslist to connect an after gooner with a midland player here let me read the bolded part because that looks like the most important part loons host families are only required to provide a bedroom with a bed and access to bathroom facilities players are responsible for their own transportation phone calls laundry and dining host families are not compensated by the loons Families may charge rent up to $150 a month per player, but must provide food if room and board is charged. 
we just need to buy a house. It can double as the afternoon or studio, and it will just be a boarding a boarding facility for Loons players. This is done by next week. <laughs> now that Sunday school, Billy's back to make sure we follow through on things that we say we're going to do and <laughs> never do. Billy, glad you're here. Can I just, I don't want to bury the lead here. What kind of miserable existence is a minor league baseball player? Oh. Because you're talking about you're staying all the, you know good and well that your team is telling host families, look, you don't have to provide them food at all. Just give them a room. Where are they supposed to eat if they only have a room and bath? Are they supposed to cook their food in the do sink? You think, do you think that when they're traveling that they don't get a per diem or food provided on the road? I think they get per diems when they travel. But well, we're not probably talking about per- traveling. Yeah, but, but I mean, they're playing a season. I mean, they're traveling. Half their games are away games. I'm sure food's provided by the team for away games. But okay, we're talking about the other half, which is when they're yeah. Together. So I, and like, if you're a host family, you're just like you just made this nice meal, and you know you have a minor league baseball player who's upstairs just like eating off of some little griddle that he's got in his room. Look, if you're willing to ho- be a host family for a minor league player, you love baseball. You love baseball. There's no way you're not inviting them to eat with you anytime they're there and you're eating a meal. No one's saying, hey, I'm going to charge minor league players $150 a pop and I'm going to invite six into my home this season to make money. Like a, like a foster <laughs> care system. <laughs> Thank you for stealing my joke, Brent. I'm sorry, Robbie. You hear that, foster parents? We're on to you. <laughs> so, But I, I, I want to get away from not the fact that the host families are doing wrong, but that these minor these minor league teams are connected. They are all connected, aren't they? I think to a major league team. Yes. Well, there there are, there are a few independent leagues, so there are some exceptions. But for the most part, nine probably eighty to ninety percent of the minor league teams that you're we're aware of are connected into a major league baseball club farm system. So these major league clubs are flush with cash, and that is not. This is like trickle down economics. It's just yeah. I mean, players like trickle down in economics doesn't work unless you're one of the top draft picks and get a guaranteed contract, and the you know the very top ones get major league level contracts, but. The salaries are like twenty to thirty thousand dollars. I mean, they're they're low wages. But and I assume you're getting a job for the other half of the year, or are you full time baseballing it? Brent, if you want to make it to the big leagues, you've got to commit yourself to playing winter ball in the off season. You've pro- got to commit yourself to training year round. I what? mean, some of them probably do get jobs in the off season, but I mean, if you're if you're a, you know in your first few years, you're harboring hopes of I'm going to make it to the big leagues. I'm going to give this everything I have. But if you're a journeyman, you know, that's been 10, 12 years in the minor leagues, yeah, you probably need to have a job in the offseason. Well, if you're a journeyman after 10 years, you're doing it just because you enjoy it, right? Yeah, or maybe, and maybe you just don't want to give up on your dream. You're just hoping maybe I'll get a call up at some point. Yeah, 10 years because you're not, you have to be supported by, you know, maybe you have a spouse that works. Well, this this brings up a, a an issue that's come up in the sporting world this past week. It was a big story. A bigger story than I thought it would be. But ESPN... The worldwide leader. Our probably biggest rival? Yes. I mean, they are our rival, and they are the biggest yeah. in sports, so they are therefore our biggest rival. What is ESPN an acronym for? Entertainment Sports... Uh, sports Network. Entertainment Pod- Sports Network. It's a weird acronym because SP stands for sports. That, yeah. that shouldn't count. That makes me hate them so much. <laughs> I'm going to pronounce it Espen from now on. Well, no, it should just be ESN. 
Oh, no, you're wrong. It's Entertainment and Sports Programming Network. Oh. That programming See, is in there just to fill out a so, nice melody. So glad you're back, Sunday School Billy, to tell <laughs> me I'm wrong. So recently, this past week, ESPN laid off how many employees? Was it 150? Something like that. And many of them were on-air, quote-unquote, talent who had been at ESPN for a very long time. Mark Stein... Uh, for the NBA, work reporting for the Wait, NBA. Mark Stein was like, Mark Stein. I didn't look at the full list. I didn't Ed know he Werder was. Ed like... for um, covers for the NFL. Yeah, was that other NFL, other NBA guys being let off? Let go. Smaller beat reporters, ESPN reporters who followed a certain team were let go. But you know who didn't get canned were people like Stephen A. Smith. Oh, yeah. Or the well, gargantuan contracts of Mike and Mike. Or, and, and actually, Mike Greenberg has a new contract because he's leaving. His, he's going to get his own television show, morning television show, uh, this fall, I believe. So here's the theory as to what's happening. So you might be like, if ESPN is the you know 600-pound gorilla in sports, why are they laying people off? And it really comes down to one reason. I don't think it's a theory. I think it's just sort of known. It comes down to the fact that people are cord-cutting with cable. And their, and their, uh, their subscriptions are down... I don't want to give the percent. Let's just afternoon or fact this thing. I think it's 12 to 15%. 85%. (laughs) Let's just say 85%. So people are getting ESPN through through borrowing credentials from other people. They're not taking cable anymore, or they're just getting it through other means. Or they're just not watching ESPN because they're going to other media outlets like the Afternoon or Sports Podcast to get their sports fix every week. Huh, learned about host families and minor league teams. That's (laughs) I'm I'm up this week in the sporting world. So- so what's happened now is ESPN, you know, has this huge budget. And one of the reasons it has a huge budget mm-hmm. is because it's put in these contracts to to for college football, for the NBA, for well, I guess Monday Night Football as well. Yeah. So you have all of these enormous rights that they've had to buy. Like Bill, they play was it one or two billion a year to the NFL for rights for Monday Night Football, the NFL Draft, and to do the like the. Uh, the seven, the Sunday night football show. Right. And so... Billion. Billion. So obviously 150 people laid off in no way addresses the real elephant in the room. If this continues, right? So here's... You, you, at the same time, you've got the NBA, you've got the NFL, contracts go up every year. One of the reasons that contracts go up every year is because revenue goes up. The mm-hmm. reason revenue goes up is because of these TV deals. It's not just ticket prices it's not merchandising it's the tv rights so here's the big question if espn is laying people off espn is hemorrhaging money so are they going to start changing these tv contracts and if they start changing these tv contracts and realize that the bubble's about to burst what's going to happen to these leagues these contracts are going to start to plummet as well and if that's the case i'm wondering what are the chances that ticket prices actually go down don't you don't think they would go up you don't think they go up no i don't think ticket prices will go up because you're 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 hemorrhaging so if uh you're trying to just sell more tickets you think right people don't want to come to games sure right so you're you're trying to sell i mean look i'm not an economist if you guys think otherwise i get what you're saying so you're saying rather than because from my perspective why would i spend 120 bucks on a ticket when I can just sit at home and watch it on TV. Exactly. Whereas if they drop the price, it's like, oh, I could, I'd pay 40 bucks to go see a Lions game. Right. So, I mean, these NBA playoff games are not being sold out. Yeah. And the NBA, it just, I think this is their first year of their new 
uh, media deal with ESPN where I think they've got billions, maybe nine, $9 billion for like a 10-year deal with ESPN. So yeah, the NBA's living fat now, but yeah, in that next media deal, is that going to drastically, are we going to see player salaries go down? Are teams going to lose money? Something that you didn't mention, Brent, is ESPN's been holding cable companies hostage for years by insist because no one wants a cable package that doesn't at least have the regular ESPN channel. So ESPN insists that $5 out of your cable bill that you pay every month goes to them for subscriber fees. But they also insist, hey, you have to take ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPN Deportes, and whatever ESPN channels they start, which gives ESPN more ad, ad revenue to sell. And so I think you're going to start to see cable companies start to push back and say, we're not going to take ESPN. But here's where I don't think you're going to see these rates go down because there's still competition for these media rights deals. Because now you have NBC Sports Network, Fox Sports, CBS Sports Network is trying to get a get a kind of a foothold in here. And there's, I'm sure, a couple others I'm forgetting. But all of them want live sports to sell because they get a tiny, tiny percentage of cable subscriptions. And if they can get one of these contracts, it's going to drastically increase their subscriber numbers and they're going to see the revenue grow. So ESPN's still going to have competition from these other networks for bidding rights. So I don't, I don't think you're going to see them go down necessarily. Well, the reason I think I, I don't know the ticket prices are going to go down, but I'm thinking the the TV deal will go down because we essentially have a uh, the sign of a bubble bursting. Sure. That they just keep saying like this is a source of revenue. So these these different networks will keep bidding higher and bidding higher and bidding higher. But now they're realizing, perhaps realizing, I should say, that it's not worth it. It's like if we go back to 2008 with houses and the housing crisis. The bubble burst, prices went well down, but then people started, you know, you realize like, oh, well, you buy low, sell high. So people then start bidding, but the price falls first. The bubble bursts before anything else can start to happen. I don't want to see anyone lose their jobs. I don't want to see reporters lose their jobs, but I'm really excited to see what happens to professional sports leagues when they have to respond the way so much of America has been living for the last 10 years of like, oh, you're right. You know what? Your wages aren't as high as they were 10 years ago. What do you think about that? And how owners and players themselves will respond to this. But you think owners are going to really feel that? I mean, it's not going to be the owners that are going to feel that. It's going to be the players that feel that. I think owners- They're just going to pass it on to labor. I think owners like like Jerry Jones won't feel that. But I think owners like maybe, um, what? how do you You'll, pronounce the name of the Kings guy? Oh, Vivek Ranadive? Right. A or lot is of, it Ranadive? You know, a lot of these guys only have one other business besides the sports team. So Jerry Jones has this this like media conglomerate now that he's running. Yeah, but there's some that some that would suggest that owners of professional sports franchises are not, at least they used to not do it to make money on that franchise. It was more of a vanity piece that, hey, there's only 30 NBA teams. I want to be one of the wealthy guys in that club. Or there's only 32 NFL teams. I want to be one of the 32 owners in that club. So you're thinking the since the owners don't care about any losses, because that's not really their, their source of revenue, then they're just going to make the players eat the loss Whereas the, what they gain stays the same. Yeah, more or less. I mean, I'm just, it would have to be a drastic, drastic loss league wide before I think owners really realistically see a hit in their revenue or at least their standing. Cause I think it just gets passed on to players. Dude, what, is it, what does it mean that I'm just as excited about this as I am about like playoffs and things like that? Well, I, you know, we've kind of talked, I don't know if we've ever talked about this in the show. We've talked about this before. I mean, following sports media 
is probably one of my favorite sports to follow. I follow NBA, NFL, professional cycling, and then probably that fourth sport that I read about most after that is sports, the sports media world itself. It's very meta. It is meta. It's like not stargazing. It's gazing at people. Gazing at stars. Gazing at stars. I did also read that, uh, and this can be the last thing we talk about on this because you guys went for a long time talking about sports media on a sports podcast. But out of line, uh, out of line. Oh, I, I apologize. <laughs> no, no, we were out of line. Yes, we were out of Thank line. Thank you. Okay, Amazon Prime is going to be streaming. I think ten football games this year, which is exciting for me because I have Amazon Prime. It's. But then I saw that they were Thursday night games. Just like ah, oh, this it's is the just Thursday like, night games, the bad games. It's propping up Thursday night football, which. which is a dying night. Like, that's a dying thing. Which Twitter, Twitter had the internet streaming rights the Thursday night last year. So you could watch it, just go to Twitter and watch the game, I guess. Now they don't have it. Amazon Prime has it. You have to be a Prime subscriber. And didn't Twitter lose like a billion dollars last year? I'm oh sure they gosh. lost money on it. Yeah. I mean, just in general. I mean, it didn't help. The NFL thing didn't help. I think it's the NFL thing. They only lost a billion dollars because of the NFL. That's the kind of analysis we want here. So fair enough. Billy, uh, we have been corrected by you. We did go on a bit about sports. Let's get back to something we're more interested in, Greco-Roman mythology. Now, Eric Malinowski, who's going to come on the podcast here in just a couple minutes, he writes for Bleacher Report. Mm -hmm. He's got a book coming out in October that we'll talk about and uh, graduated from Boston University with a journalism degree. Yeah. However, he had a minor. And you know what that minor was in? Minotaur studies. Very close, Billy. Okay. Classical studies. Oh, yeah. I got the studies part right. So that means he might be able to weigh in on our discussion. It might have been, was it the last discussion? It wasn't the last discussion, but it was a close one of your last episodes, Billy, Mm -hmm. when we talked about what Greco-Roman figure you would like invited over to dinner if you were hosting a dinner party. I said uh, Hector, hero, tragic hero of the Iliad. I said Hephaestus, the Greek god of the forge. And I said the Minotaur, mm. who I think gets a bad rap for being half half bull. Billy, you said Heracles. Yes. But non-rage yes. Heracles. That's very important. Uh, did you have anyone else? I said Medusa, but just her head, so that if people showed up at the party you didn't like, you could just turn them to stone at will. Wait, really? You said that? I think I said that. He did say that. What? Did we? Serious, I zoned out during this entire part of the podcast because I, I just stared at the floor, but I remember that he said Medusa. You're the host. Why would you want to have... I'm protecting the guests that I want there. You know, party crashers, well, certain he... clients. <laughs> or minotaurs. Well, here's the thing. If if the minotaur and Hector called me and mm-hmm. said, hey, we can't make your dinner party, we're going over to Billy's. Sure. I'd say this. I'd say, be careful, because he apparently invited something that could turn you to stone Brent. if your dinner anecdote doesn't go over well. I want to get a little more meta. I really love the idea of Hector and the Minotaur together <laughs> calling you on a cell phone yep. to make the social faux pas of saying, hey, we're not going to your party. We're going to someone else's party. Well, no, I'll tell you why they're doing this. Go on. Because Hector is an honest man. You can read it in the Iliad. Mm-hmm. He's an honest, honorable man. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he can't make my dinner party because he's already obliged to go to this dinner party. And I'm telling him, Hector, listen. If a dinner host has an object which can turn you to stone, and that dinner host admits to being willing to use it if you upset him, I have no problem saying, don't go. I care too much about you and Andromache. I really think that boy, Astyanax, has got a future in front of him. 
Robbie's staring at the floor again. That's, I'm staring it, at the floor. It's a joke, Robbie. A Stionic dies when he's a little kid. He's thrown off the walls of Troy. That's oh, a good joke, Brent. Now I get it. <laughs> <laughs> all of this, all of this is coming up, by the way. All of this is coming up. Brent, you're not really going to bring that up with you, are you? All of our aftergooners want to know what this Bleacher Report writer, who just wrote about Steve Kerr, who's got a book coming about at the Golden State Warriors, what they want to know is who he would invite over to a dinner party with Greco-Roman characters. So yes, I, I will bring it up at the end. I will bring it up at the end. But this is, uh, listen, this is what the aftergooners want. I am just a vessel for their desires. Is is there a blacklist in the sports podcasting? Like, are we going to be blacklist? This guy's just going to say, like, don't ever do an interview with the Afternoon Sports Podcast. Let me tell you something. If we found out there was a blacklist. That'd be a badge of honor, and, right? And we found out we were on it. <laughs> that Nothing would make us happier. That it said, is. I still don't want you to ask him the question. I'll save it to the end. I'll save it to the Fine. end. Fine. We're joined on the line with Eric Malinowski, lead Golden State Warriors writer for Bleacher Report. Eric's written for Wired Magazine, Rolling Stone, Slate, New Republic, New Republic, Baseball Prospectus. Eric has a book coming out this fall, Beta Ball, How Silicon Valley and Science Built One of the Greatest Basketball Teams in History, and that's coming out from Atria Books, an imprint of Simon & Schuster. Eric, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Eric, so last week on the show, we talked about Steve Kerr missing games in the playoffs for the Golden State Warriors. Is he going to be back for the rest of the playoffs at all? <laughs> that seems to be the $64,000 question in Oakland right now. It's, um, it, it's a really interesting time because uh, in one respect, you know, things cannot be going better for the Warriors on the court. I mean, they've, they've weathered injuries. They got through the Kevin Durant injury. They, you know, they swept Portland um, pretty, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of easy. I mean, they, they, you know, a couple were close, but they did all right. But off the court, it's a huge mystery right now. They, they, they really don't know when he's going to be back. I feel like the Warriors are probably going to take this, the passes in the indication, sort of on a series-by-series basis. But, you know, he wasn't at practice all last week. He was offside getting treatment at the Stanford Medical Center. And, and people just don't know what to think right now. You know, we went through this last year where he missed the first 43 games of the year, and they managed to weather that storm in part because Luke Walton, you know, did, did a tremendous job filling in his interim coach, but but also it was a testament to the system that Steve has put in place and, and the practices that they had established. So they're going to have to lean on that a lot. My guess is that he probably is not going to be back for this Utah series, and they'll probably just have to do what they did with Mike Brown filling in as interim coach, for, at least for the next couple of weeks. But, you know, people are hoping that, that he comes through, but, you know, it's a credit to what he's put in place because <laughs> the ship can keep on sailing even though he's not at the helm. So, Eric, we're wondering... You know, the, the Warriors are obviously professionals. Are Kerr's gone. Are they just going about their business as though the boss isn't there and, look, we just know how to do our jobs? Or is there a real change in atmosphere or ethos? Like, are we underestimating the loss of Steve Kerr or are we overestimating the loss? I mean, until they actually, until they actually appear to struggle uh, on the basketball court, I feel like this is just kind of something that they're just going to have to roll with. And, and maybe we aren't going to sort of appreciate his absence for what it is. But the good news is, is that the Warriors are supremely talented. I mean, that's honestly the best thing they have going for them at this point. It's, you know, there's a lot of veterans on this team. You know, uh, Durant was obviously the big addition, but a lot of these guys, the core of this team has been around a long time. So the chemistry is there. You know, I, I think that they're just, they're just honestly, like I said before, they're trying to take it a series at a time. They think that they can weather you know, maybe at least one more series with him. I mean, assuming they beat the Jazz, 
I think that maybe once you start to get to like a conference finals and there's just all that attention, that would really be kind of the thing where we would see his absence really start to manifest itself in terms of maybe, you know, in-game strategy and things like that. But I feel like they really truly feel that with the system they put in place, they can weather this, this whole thing for a few games more. But if it goes any further past that, I think that's when it really could start to get a little bit more interesting. Do you know it, what what the point difference is occurring in Vegas because of Kerr's absence? Uh, no, I don't know. Is the is the line moved? <laughs> I mean, that, that's my question. I feel <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing. Um, I remember it was one of the Portland games where uh, the Warriors announced sort of late that made that Durant was not going to play when it kind of looked like maybe fifty fifty he might, and then. I think it was that game two, perhaps. And then um, I think the line went down like one point or something like that. So if you consider, you know, Kevin Durant not playing, to, you know, to, to, to add a point or two to the other team, maybe maybe it's the same kind of difference. But I would love to know the, the calculations behind that kind of thing. Well, what, let's, let's say, and we obviously don't know this, but let's say the, the Warriors get to the conference finals and let's say they're playing the Spurs. Just you, sure. Eric. How many points do you feel like Kerr swings this team, if you had to guess? I mean, I, probably five or six. Five or six. Wow. I mean, you're, you're, talking, you're, you're talking strategy, you know, against one of, you know, probably the best head coach in the NBA. I mean, let's not, let's not overthink this. You know, what Popovich has done in San Antonio is beyond, uh, beyond the stuff of legend at this point. So I feel like they're going to need a really top, tactician to be able to go up against him you know especially since this was this was the series that the basketball gods denied us last year so i feel like there's just gonna be so much attention so much hype if that series does come to fruition so you know they they've they, they battled some really tough games this year i was actually in san antonio for that um that infamous saturday night game where you know everyone and their grandmother arrested turned into kind of a, a national debacle um <laughs> If they, the, the next, if they do meet in the conference finals, it'll be a little bit different than what we saw there. Um, but there would just be so much attention around it. They, they would really need to be at their peak condition, not only health-wise, but I think coaching-wise. So, yeah, he definitely could. His absence is definitely the sort of thing where if that series does happen, it could swing a game or two either way. Now, let me, let me throw this question at you and uh, give you some background before you answer. Now, we are all uh, dads. And uh, we've got young kids. We've all got a little bit of a third and fourth grade basketball coaching under our belt. How much of a difference? How much of a difference would it matter if Mike Brown could not coach the Warriors, and we, as the Afternoon Podcast, did? <laughs> I definitely think you would finish with a better record than the Sixers did. <laughs> I <laughs> think um, that's a pretty low bar. I, was, I don't I know if that's Dan by fake praise or not. Yeah, you'd definitely be above that, that lower echelon of Sixers Lakers kind of kind of discussion. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, this is um, yeah, you you could just uh, go with the Luke Walton uh, strategy and just kind of let them freelance, let them do their thing, and then take all the credit for it. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey, so so you write about the Warriors. Are you a Warriors fan at all? No, I actually grew up in New York, uh, so I'm sort of a Knicks fan by birth. Um, oh, sorry to hear that. So yeah, it's um, yeah, no, it's it's um, it, it, I don't really have a special affinity, although I have lived in the Bay Area for 15 years now, so I have a lot of friends who are Warriors fans. I was here during uh, let's call it the lean times, 
Um, so yeah, I've, I've definitely seen the whole spectrum as it comes to Warriors basketball at this point. So, so yeah, the reason I ask is you, you've got your forthcoming book, Beta Ball, How Silicon Valley yep. and Science Built One of the Greatest Basketball Teams in History. Your book's coming out in the fall after the, a few months after the NBA finals end. You have to be rooting for the Warriors right. to win the championship again because that could only mean more sales for your book, right? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I mean, even when I was sort of, uh, in the early stages of doing the book and the finals and the playoffs last year, I didn't really have an emotional investment in it, which is good because as we saw what happened, if I had an investment in the outcome either way, we probably would not be speaking right now. <laughs> I probably would have had a heart attack. So it was fine either way in terms of last year. But yeah, it's a little bit weird this year because I do feel like, yeah, if they win, it'll probably be pretty good for sale. I would say this was probably the only year that I have any sort of emotional investment. You know, whatever happens this year is great. I don't care what happens in the next five years. <laughs> if it happens this year, I'll be I'll be happy as far as the outcome goes. And I, I guess it's a, yeah, like I said, it's a little bit weird because I didn't grow up being a fan of this team. And you know, in terms of being a writer, in terms of being a beat, you only really kind of quote unquote root for a team because it just gives you something to write about. You know, in terms of you know how far they go and you know the more interesting things that keep happening and, and stuff like that. So yeah, that's as usually as far as it ever goes. But yeah, it's a little bit of a different situation this year, to be honest with you. Well, Eric, one, we, we looked, we looked you up, uh, before we, uh, before we called you and we noticed that you had a minor in classical studies. Now, I don't know if you know this, but two of us on this podcast are actually college professors. And, uh, on a previous, on a previous podcast, we were having a a conversation uh, very relevant to sports about if we were having a dinner party, what Greco Roman figures from mythology we would have over. And uh, so I, I, I said I'd like Hector and Hephaestus and the Minotaur to be there. Uh, Sunday School Billy, our researcher and mm-hmm. producer, wanted um, Heracles and uh, the head of the Medusa. <laughs> and uh, so we're, we're, you know, as a as both a journalist and a uh, uh-huh. a student of classical studies, who would you invite sure. over to dinner for your Greco-Roman dinner party? I mean, I guess I would. Uh, I don't know. Oh boy. I mean. I have to go with like maybe like not not the big name characters, but maybe some of like the second. I don't know. Like I maybe go for like a like an Ajax type. I don't know. You're really I'm really trying to dust off the cobwebs here. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, is- I would try to go for like some of the deep deep cuts because if you just like if you invite like a guy like Achilles, I mean he'll just be like dominating the the conversation and everything, mm-hmm. and yes. you just can't get in a word in edgewise. So I think you want to just. At least you just want to go down a tier because this way, at least for me, yeah, because, you know, I'm going to just be a little bit more relatable to, to someone like me. So, you know, someone more on my level down there. So that's that's Ajax, one of the great fighters of the Greeks, is is on your level. Yeah, he still has the bona fides. Yeah, he still has the <laughs> fundamentals. But, like, you know, he's not going to be, uh, he's not going to be, you know, a, a maniac during dinner. So, well, you know, well, well let me ask you this. Order. Let me ask you this. Who is the Ajax of the Golden State Warriors? Draymond Green? So by transference, you would would are most interested in like interviews, talking with uh, Draymond Green, having him over for a dinner party. He'd be a good dinner party guest. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No. Very. Yeah. But you know, see, you can have a, you can have a healthy debate. You know, he's just not gonna. You know, you, he's more than happy to have the back and forth. He relishes the fight, <laughs> and you can just keep going and going and going, and you'll have stories for days. So yeah. So then who's who's the Achilles? Who's the one who's the best, but you don't necessarily want him over for dinner because you're never going to get a word in edgewise? Uh, it's tough because I want to say Curry. And, you know, we saw his, 
We saw his heel pop up during Game 7 of the Finals last year. So it kind of, it kind of worked. Like, it kind of works on that level, but, like, Steph is actually, like, such a nice guy. Yeah. Um, and not... I don't know. Maybe it's, like, this weird mix of Draymond and Curry. I don't know who... Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'll just cop out and say David West. <laughs> I don't know. Just, that would just be way more interesting. I don't know who the comp is, but... It would just be most interesting. <laughs> well, this is really dusting off the cobwebs, but if you remember in uh, in the Odyssey, you meet Achilles in the underworld, and he says, "Oh, I, I wish I could just, I wish I could be alive again. I wish I could be young again. I'd be rather be a slave than a than a dead hero." David West is probably in his last year or so in the NBA, so maybe that's right. Maybe this is Achilles yeah. at the end of his uh, life in the underworld, saying, uh, "No, I'd do anything to be uh, Draymond Green again." Although I have to say, if anything else, now you've really now I'm really curious. Like, I have to come up with a comp for Javale McGee because I know there's somebody in mythology <laughs> that's a perfect Javale McGee. Well, if you're coming up with a comp for Javale McGee, you have to come up with a comp for Shaquille O'Neal as well. Who is that dastardly villain that simply won't leave him alone? I don't know, but I feel like I have some homework to do now. We just wait. I'll take it. <laughs> well, Eric, we we didn't prep you for that question. Your uh, classical studies professors <laughs> from your undergrad would be very proud. At uh, your responses, I think. I really hope so. I'm going to have to send this to them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so thanks for joining us, Eric. The book that he has coming out this fall, Beta Ball, How Silicon Valley Sci- and Science Built One of great- Basketball's Greatest Teams in History. He writes for Bleacher Report and the Golden State Warriors. We really enjoyed your Steve Kerr profile, your most recent story. Eric, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So a, a couple notes. Uh, he doesn't really... Th- I mean, I... Based on what Eric said, it's sort of uh, Dan by faint praise to Mike Brown, right? Because he even said, like, you know, the, the ship is just sort of running without a captain right now. Mike Brown is a placeholder. He also said that we could take the Warriors and keep them as a professional franchise. That's how I am interpreting it his like, language. It sounds we, like Eric believes in us, in our coaching ability. The, well, at the so, very least, that we wouldn't totally cause the team to implode and cease to exist. Unless you take a 70-win team down to a 20-win team is considered (laughs) imploding, but I don't. They're still better than the Sixers. And in fact, he said we'd be better than the Sixers, so maybe what he meant was a lot better than the Sixers. Like, we only lose, like, five wins based on our coaching. Because really, the biggest issue is going to be getting them to respect us. So if we just lived in a world where they respected us, then like, is it that much of a difference? But how many times do professional athletes not respect their coaches or not respect the assistant coach? Do they respect their assistant coach right now who's keeping the seat warm while Steve Kerr is out? Yeah, well, also, who's the head coach? Who's the assistant coach of us? If we are the coaching staff, what what's our titles? Like, we're like a triumvirate. Yeah, I was going to say, let's take it back to uh, Greco-Roman mythology. We're the Cerberus of NBA sure. coaches. Did you guys ever watch uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Uh, I mean, I off guess. and on. There's a great skit where they're, it's like the three-headed person or you know the Cerberus, and the game is that they have to sing a song about some funny theme from the audience, but each person can only say one word at a time. So they're singing this th- song. So maybe that's how we communicate with the players one word at a time. We're doling out basketball knowledge. Let's try, let's try some basketball advice right now. You get big now before they get even bigger. Gold. That's gold right there. See, like it, it worked pretty well. But I could hear, I could actually hear a coach saying that to his players. You get big now before they get even bigger. Let's just try it again make sure it wasn't a fluke. 
listen to me, fellas. Because if you don't, then I will throw you out in. What? What am I supposed uh, to do? You with just that got re- you just got reduced. You just got reduced to assistant coach. Yeah. I was gonna. <laughs> I was thinking, throw you out into the cold or well, into, into the street. One but word. Yeah, but yeah, you just uh, contradicted what Coach Brent said. We first rule of improv: we him. can't have that. We can't have contradictions. One more time. One more time. One more time. One more time. Guys, I'm really disappointed in you for that performance tonight. When you shut down my best girl. <laughs> okay. Uh, I Period. Think, I think we're gonna have a hard time winning twenty games. So, well, but here's, can I can I bring it back? We we like Steve Kerr as a coach. You know, there's few NBA coaches that we seem to respect and think they have a good, healthy perspective on sport and approach to coaching. We like him, but man, I don't I don't think it makes any difference. It makes little difference. You know what I think makes a difference is his first year when he came in and he made what was a bold decision to bench a former All Star and put in uh, a rookie or second-year player, Draymond Green, who Eric talked about, to put him in the starting lineup. I think that was a big coaching decision, but that's just kind of like he's a watchmaker setting the team in motion, and then they just kind of yeah, do their see, thing. Here's, here's where we maybe have a disagreement, because what if it's maintenance required to the watch? So if we took over for one game with the Warriors, and they play the 76ers, and they, they slam them, like they just destroy them, but then we have to play for three weeks against the Sixers. We play them every other night. By the third week, they're beating the Warriors because the culture that's created is getting corroded because you don't have the captain there sort of just making sure, you know, the mast is right, making sure the rudder is right, making sure everything's battened down. I'm going to keep with this ship metaphor. If the captain's created an effective culture... Can his, his midshipmen, is that what they'd be called, his, his, second, his second mates, cannot they keep the culture going? Or is it just they can only keep it going for so long and you got to get back there? Otherwise, the midshipmen or second mates are going to get, they're going to kind of lose, lose focus. Well, wait, if you die tomorrow, you've created a culture in your family. But if you die tomorrow, do you feel like the culture in your family is going to be the same in four years? It, it'll, be, it'll be different because I won't be there. Yeah, but it's four years. But is it going to... Is it going to change immediately? Well, that's you that's, know, and that's what I said. And is the war, but with the Warriors, is it is it long enough? Is it three weeks? It's only what three weeks or four weeks left in the playoffs. Do you think we could beat the Jazz? As I mean, we want the Jazz to win. I think we're pretty clear. We're we're Jazz fans here. We don't want to see Golden State win. Not because we're villains. Because we like to root villains. for underdogs. We but like to root for and the Jazz but, are a great underdog team. The question we keep coming back to is what kind of impact does a coach or coaching staff have on the team? So let's stop thinking about it in terms of the positive or maintaining and start thinking about it this way. If we take over the Jazz or the Warriors or one of these teams, how quickly can we run that team into <laughs> the ground and make them worse than the Sixers? Or what if we improve? Because although Steve Kerr is a really good coach. He also, when he breathes through his nose, whistles. Like there's a whistle in his sinuses. And and it just drives Steph Curry mad. And every time he looks over, he's like, Steve, Steve Kerr's a good guy. I like Steve Kerr. But every time I see him, I just think about that whistling sound and his shots off. <laughs> and so just by virtue of us not whistling when we breathe through our nose, the team's doing better. Maybe we're not doing things that Steve Kerr... Maybe Steve Kerr has halitosis. I mean, is he not communicating with... 
their assistant coach regularly on a daily basis. We don't we don't know really still what his illness actually is. It's speculated it's related to his back his problems. Back. He's it's going to be his back. But you know how many times have we had elderly coaches? And Steve Kerr's not an elderly, but we've had coaches in their seventies that have had hip surgery, and they get them the comfiest chair on the bench, pretty much a lazy boy, and they're sitting there on the bench and still coaching. I mean, could Steve Kerr not be on the bench and maybe in a lazy boy? One of the theories as to what's happening is that his brain is in the wrong position in his skull. Oh. Because of the back surgery, once you have a, if you have a, a, like a drainage of spinal fluid, then your brain falls in your skull some. He is, he is currently undergoing horrifying headaches. Wow. So it's not just like, oh, I got a, I so woke up one morning and my back hurts. So it's debilitating that yes. just being, I mean, being there trying to probably think and process is very, very difficult. Yes. But I don't want to get away from what I where I thought you were going, which is you got these elderly coaches who are like are always sitting and stuff like that. But look at us. We'd be out with the team, like, you know, probably having some sort of like pillow fight or wrestle party. Maybe a dinner party where we all dress up as mythological creatures. Absolutely. And the team's like, you know what, guys? They've never coached <laughs> they've never coached NBA basketball. But look at all the craft work that went into that fake Medusa head. Occasionally, we get great theater from like professional play athletes mut- mutinying, mutiny on on their coach, and this would be record record time. <laughs> how quickly professional athletes would would stage a mutiny against their coach, or in this case, coaches. When we introduce the first team meeting dinner party and assign each of them a mythological creature <laughs> that we will call them during practice at all team functions. Why well, would um, they mutiny from that? <laughs> and we're we're also obligated to dress up as Cerberus, and we can only growl and bark exactly. at the dinner party. And we uh, deliver the food either through our paws or just out one of our mouths. Hey, uh, hey, Coach Klein, where's the silverware? It's in the drawer beneath my bed. Period. <laughs> I was really looking for some growls and barks from you, Brent, but that was good too. I. Uh... What if we Careful. just said to someone like Steph Curry, like, hey, well, you know what? Uh, if you don't like it, we'll bench you. And uh, he says, I'm just going to mutiny, and you're going to lose the team. And I'm like, well, then we're just going to beat you up. <laughs> because there's three of us. There's three of us. He still is a, and, and he's small by NBA standards. He's still a six-foot player with probably much bigger muscles than any of the three of us. Well, he definitely does. You don't think the three of us can beat up Steph Curry? I don't know. Maybe I just don't have the confidence in our fighting ability that you do, Brent. I think we can as long as we're not in our Cerberus costume. That's going to get really, really now, uncomfortable. I, if I'm allowed to get a sucker punch in, I, I might give us a, a. Oh, that's definitely happening. I might give like, us That's a, your job. See, see, your job is the sucker punch. Look, when, Steph. Look, Steph. Look, <laughs> we don't want to put you on the bench, but we're going to have to sit you down. And look, I know you're not going to like it. It's going to be a pow! <laughs> And then that's where you guys got to take over because I'm useless after well, that no, point. Well, no, see, my job as the little guy is to jump on Wait. his back and go for the eyes. So I jump on his back and hold on, and I'm choking and going for the eyes. Now, Billy, what is your strategy when we fight Steph Curry? Actually, here, Billy's going to be the one that pushes him over to get him off his feet because he's taller than us, but I'm going to be the guy that gets on my, my knees behind him so Billy can push him over. After the sucker punch. After after the the, yeah, I've got two roles here, but Billy's the one that's strong enough to really push him forcefully enough to knock knock him over. And let's remember, we're going to need to do this away from pretty much any other human being because they're going to come to Steph Curry's aid. He's a pretty beloved figure. So we're going to have to do it in like a parking garage or something like that. So just to be clear, in this scenario, 
We are in a parking garage. <laughs> I assume on our way to or back from our mythological creature party with our NBA team that well, we're no, the coach of. The t- not with the team. It's Steph Curry like walking no, to his the, car. The, the party was with the team, and yeah. now we're either walking to or from the party. Yep. We are dressed as Cerberus. Who did uh, Eric say Steph Curry was? Achilles. Achilles. He's sort of an Achilles-esque figure. But isn't that figure. because uh, he hurt his foot? Wasn't that what the also what he's he the dominant player? He said it didn't work in terms of personality, but sorry, too late. I say we start fomenting rebellion in the <laughs> locker room. Hey, did you hear that guy thought you were Achilles? Oh my gosh! But yes, we are in a parking garage. Yep. Robbie walks up by himself, mentions what he need, needs to say to Steph Curry, sucker punches him. Then we jump out from behind an old. You Buick. jump on his back. Robbie gets down on his hands and knees behind him while he's bleeding, and I push him. Yeah. Wait, wait, Steph Curry's bleeding from my one sucker punch? Yeah, I think, You're yeah. a good I sucker the, puncher. I think we're misutilizing Billy here by having us shove him over. Billy's I'm, a strong guy. I'm comfortable with that being my only role in this scenario. Because honestly, you come away looking the best in that scenario. I'm the one that sucker punches him. Brent's gouging his eyes out. You just push <laughs> the guy. You know, you come away off looking, come off looking the best. You might only Billy. get a misdemeanor. Hey, um, <laughs> let's just uh, ask this question as we do at the end of every interview we have with someone. On a scale of zero to ten, how much does Eric regret coming on this podcast after listening to this? Before you ask wait, him the wait, mythological so is question, ten, ten is the most regret. Ten is the most regret. Before right you... now, he's listened to the entire podcast, and now he's oh, okay. Because right after the interview, he seemed like he was in high spirits. Yeah, he I think I would say he's uh, at the end of the interview. He's probably a three. He probably enjoyed the off offbeat mm-hmm. question of mm-hmm. the classical studies thing. And now at this point, he's probably at a six. Probably at a six. Only a six. Yeah, I was thinking. I was thinking seven. I was thinking he, like eight. He really seemed to enjoy going down the uh, the classical studies memory lane. That's true. But let's remember it. We are now attacking <laughs> Steph Curry in a parking garage. Um. Eric, we're not, not, not going to do that. Obviously, if we were going to attack Steph Curry, we would use a bow and arrow. Oh, my gosh. Because he's Achilles. Because he's Achilles. Sure. And we are Paris. This is, Gre- this is Greco-Roman mythology, Robbie. We're not going to hurt Steph Curry. We like Steph Curry. Eric, give us a call or tweet at us. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being most regret you can possibly feel as a human being. How do you feel towards us and the interview you did with us? Five one seven seven nine eight six one eight seven. Can we have like a, a regretful somber jingle? I don't know. That's gonna be hard. That is hard. There's not a lot of companies that are trying to create a regretful jingle. Five one seven seven nine eight six one eight seven. Whoa, whoa. Is that re- is that somber? Is that regret? Is that re- yeah? Regret? I thought that was good. Yeah, that's good. Good minor key. What about all the Twitter stuff? Thanks for listening to the Afternooner Sports Podcast this week. You can tweet at us at the Afternooner. Find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, even this uh, small podcast service called iTunes. Until next time. So long. See ya. That's oh, a good joke, Brent. Now I get it. Ha ha ha.